0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, or chapter 1 rather, Luke chapter 1. I have been marinating in this very long passage for several weeks and uh, last week, again, we were looking at the, there's this multi-generational element to this thing that I really feel like the Lord is breathing on at this season. And so I want to I keep diving back into that. So if you want to look with me at verse 39 through 45, and there's really two themes that uh, I want to touch on this morning, and I've got 25 minutes, well, six seconds less than that. So we'll, we'll need the grace of God to hit both. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that your word would come with great power, with great revelation this morning. Lord, I ask that your teaching would fall like rain and a spirit of wisdom and revelation would hang over the atmosphere. And Lord, that you would awaken our hearts. And Lord, that each one of us would see where we fit into your grand story. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So look at verse 39. We talked last week about how Elizabeth was visited before Mary because Elizabeth represents that generation. That it's, There's this beautiful little poetic phrase of Zechariah and Elizabeth that says they were blameless according to the law, yet barren. And they had been denied children all these years. And sometimes our delay, what we think is a no is a not yet and God was withholding something from them, they had to go extra long and end up with children in their old age because God wanted to join them with a young woman coming in early before her time. And there's this dynamic in the kingdom that God always operates on three generations. You ever wondered why God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He refers to himself that way again and again. Because there is a three-generation dynamic, at least, that God is always operating in. And I think there's an awareness that we need to carry all the time. We need to be thinking about those who went before us and in gratitude, uh, honor what they've given us, and realize that we don't start from the beginning. This, this idea in America of the self-made man is actually a tragedy. Spiritually speaking, we're not supposed to be self-made men and women, We're to to begin with an inheritance. My dad and I were on the phone the other day, and I love my dad. My dad's a man of God, has walked with Jesus for going on, uh, well, he's 81, and he got saved when he was 15. You do the math. And uh, he's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And we were talking about when I went into Teen Challenge as an 18-year-old kid, I I was a messed up, broken young man. But one of the counselors pulled me aside and he said, what's your background, son? And I told him, I said, well, my dad is a pastor, he's a Pentecostal pastor. And he stopped me and he said, I could tell. He said, you need to thank God for your heritage. He said, you're not starting out where these other students are starting out. And I don't remember the way he said it, but essentially he was saying, and that's no credit to you. It's not like you're beyond the other students and it's credited to you. It's somebody else paid the price for where you're at. And you better thank God for your upbringing. And actually, it was very humbling because I ended up in the same spot as many young men that had no father and had no godly upbringing, and I was raised in godliness and ended up in the same spot. But once I surrendered, all of a sudden, I started farther down the road, not because of some credit that I could take, but because of the price paid by the previous generation. And we always need to understand that there is a generation around us that is fading or has already passed that's already paid the price for what we're walking in. Bill Culver, Jerry and Kay Marlowe held this church together when this church was just a little band of people. And many of the people that were part of this church at that time are now with the Lord. But we're indebted to them for the, the holding the line because God still had a plan for this church. And in fact, some of the prophetic words we carry as a house were actually given to this church. I, I received them as prophetic words only to find out that 30, 40 years ago those same words were given to the pastors of this church at that time. And they, they hadn't come to fruition yet. And all of a sudden now in this hour they're coming to fruition. And we are inheriting the words of old. And somebody paid the price to hold this thing together. And so we have to live in an awareness of this, that there are those who have gone before us that carry something that we need and we're indebted to. But we also need to carry an awareness that there's an emerging generation that we can fuel and we can pour into. And that brings us to this passage. Listen to what it says. So Mary has this visitation from an angel And it says, at the end of verse 38, and the angel departed from her. And lo and behold, in 39, in those days, in what days? Right after the angelic encounter. I mean, she got the word of a lifetime. You are going to carry the Messiah, the Savior of all the world. And what does she do? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And listen to what happens. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. She begins to prophesy this elderly lady that's carrying a baby past the age when she should have been able to. She's already went through menopause and now she's pregnant. Some of you ladies are like, don't release that word. It, uh, <laughs> she's, she's now with child And when Mary walks in, her baby jumps, and what does she do? The elderly generation begins to prophesy over the young generation. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why this is granted to me, that a mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed, and now here's a word, this word, this is a good word, and it's not just isolated to Mary. This is a general word that applies to all of us. Listen to what she told her. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Those of you that are carrying the word of the Lord, God's made you promises, and you're holding on in hope, there's a blessing that's coming your way. You are attracting the blessing of God by standing in faith for those things. And so what do we get from this passage? That Mary intuitively knew. Once she was pregnant with the promise, she had to hightail it to somebody who was farther down the road than her. She was farther down the road in her pregnancy. Elizabeth was entering her third trimester. Mary was entering her first. The angel visited Elizabeth before it visited Mary. Why? Because what Elizabeth would carry would pave the way for what Mary carried. And we need to understand that there's an obligation we have as we go through the seasons of life. We start out as that emerging generation and we're receiving from the forefathers. But as we age and our hair turns gray, that we have something to give that emerging generation. We're grateful for the one that's behind us and we continue to honor, we continue to pull from that, but we also begin to invest in the next generation. And there's a synergy that happens. There's a reason that God told Zachariah and Elizabeth, no, during the normal childbearing years. Because what they would carry had to partner with what the emerging generation was carrying. And we need to understand that our greatest years, I'm I'm believing the greatest years of my ministry are the next 20 years until I'm 40. Okay, okay. 20 years I'll be 78 and I'm believing the best years of my ministry will be pr- between here and 80 years old that we're going to see the greatest fruit because what I don't have in strength hopefully I'm getting in wisdom amen and so I want I want to implore you young adults you young people listen we have already paid the tuition on some <laughs> some lessons by making our own mistakes and if you will Allow us, we will give you for You can audit our course. We paid the tuition, we'll give you for free what it took us 20 years to learn if you'll ask questions. And there's something about being a young person that's hungry and humble and that will ask questions. You will be a person wise beyond your years. The danger is that we think we know it all. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if we will ask questions. The other night, uh, we had some some youth over at our house. There was about 12 kids, 10 kids. And uh, my son said, Dad, would you do a question and answer time? I said, yeah, that'd be fun. And uh, they, they stumped me with the first question, something about the canon of Scripture and history. And I'm like, uh, well, uh, you know, I wanted to go Google some things and come back and answer. But uh, we're, we're talking, and you know, one of the... One of the challenges that those of us who are a little older face when we're talking to young people is sometimes we're not sure if they're not bored with us. Anybody relate with that? They look at you like, <laughs> that, that look on their face you make, it makes you feel a little irrelevant. You know? And uh, so I always talking to them and I didn't, I didn't know how they're receiving. Uh, but one, one particular young man raised his hand and asked a question. And he began to share how he had been crying out to the Lord the day before. He said, I was crying, just asking God about some things. And I'm gonna tell you, that, that broke me. That's so deeply, t- I've, been, I've been thinking about that ever since. You couldn't look at the surface and understand what was going on behind the scenes. But there is a hungry generation that's coming up right now. I believe one of the greatest harvests in history, is right before us. And I believe, like it it usually is, it's going to be a harvest of young people. Amen. Now, there's, there, we don't have to feel like uh, the rest of us need to be left out of that, but I'm telling you, there's, something, there's, a, there's a hunger in this next generation that we need to understand. In fact, I would propose to you, everybody's hungry, they just don't know it. Everybody's hungry for Jesus. They just have misplaced. It's kind of like a pregnant woman. She's really hungry, but she doesn't know what for. You know that? Uh, She's not sure what she's hungry for. That's the, the. Everybody's hungry for Jesus. They may not be able to define it, but we need to help them define that, and we need to boldly declare the 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 answer because people will begin to recognize it as we talk about. it. I was telling the first service that my son Nathaniel is about two thirds strawberries. Because my wife, she gets really sick during pregnancy. She's, she's bedridden for three months, in and out of the hospital. It's amazing we had seven kids after she goes through that. But she goes, she's, I mean, definitely, she can't keep water down. And then all of a sudden, I know, we come into the clearing when she says, some food. And this, for Nathaniel, was Strawberries. I want to eat strawberries. I would literally do strawberry runs and bring them in by the crates. And she ate strawberries. I think when he sweats, I still smell strawberries. I mean, at a, but I digress. So here's the thing. This next generation is hungry, and they, they're looking for fathers and mothers. Are you willing to give away what you have? There's things you've learned, and if we will... We will recognize the, the desire and, and young people, I'm telling you, if you will begin to ask, ask questions. You still owe me a phone call, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, so give me a call. But those yeah, one of them was asking me some questions. We were gonna connect on the phone, it didn't work out. But let's make ourselves available. And I want to encourage you, be an Elizabeth and look for that that young person that you can begin to prophesy over, that you can begin to validate and 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 just Bless them and and highlight the things that you see in their life. And if you will begin to pull on that reserve, there's, there's a synergy that begins to happen. Whenever God moves, he moves across generational lines. And if we don't have an awareness of that, we can actually diminish what God is doing. But if we have an awareness, we can actually fuel what the Lord is doing. And so Mary hightailed it to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth began to prophesy over her. And as they talk about, just the sound of Mary's voice, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. You know, one of the overlooked methods of being filled with the Spirit in Scripture is actually talking to one another about the things of God. Ephesians, I want to say it's chapter 5. It says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled is actually the tense. But it's in the same passage. It's saying that one of the manners in which we are filled with the Spirit is in fellowship. Just like in this, Mary comes in, she's carrying something fresh, and what does it do? It makes Elizabeth's baby jump. There's something about talking about the things of God that will cause you to be filled with the Spirit. You ever notice when you get with somebody and you begin to fellowship about the things of God, you're telling testimonies, you're talking about the things the Lord showed you, and all of a sudden you're aware, wow, the Lord's here. Did you feel that? He just showed up. Why? He is attracted to his activity, and he's attracted to those who like to talk about those things, And it's actually one of the ways in which you can be filled with the Spirit. Yes, there's having hands laid on us. Yes, there's those encounters we have corporately in worship where we can be refilled. There's those encounters we can have in private. But there's something about that small one-on-one interaction or just small groups where you're talking about the things of the Lord. And you're stirring up the atmosphere and there's actually God, the presence of God, that, that invisible third party that will enter the conversation. And it's especially sweet when it's that generational thing. I have a spiritual mother. She was 29 when I was 19. She was a real old lady and uh, 29 years old. I was 19 and she adopted me in the Lord. The Lord told her she had two daughters and the Lord said, I'm going to give you a son. And I worked for her and she was real hard on me. <laughs> and uh, I, I worked for her in the Bible school uh, kitchen. I'd wash dishes. And a lot of times she said, I'm doing the dishes. You're going to read this. And I'd sit down and have to read a David Wilkerson newsletter. But she poured into me and she told me, she said, if you will listen to me, she said, I will save you a lot of heartache. You can learn from my mistakes so you don't have to make your own. And that sounded like a really good idea. Because although I was only 19 years old, I'd made a lifetime of mistakes already. And there was something about when we'd get together, it would be like, man, I'd get filled with the Spirit. It was like encountering the Lord. And I'd drive away from there. It was like, whoa, man, that was crazy. God was speaking to us in the presence of the Lord. Some of my most powerful encounters were not in prayer, but across the table at McDonald's with a McDonald's coffee. And I tell you what, if you can be filled with a McDonald's coffee, that's a miracle. Okay? <laughs> At least back then, I haven't drank a McDonald's cup. I'm sorry, if someone owns a McDonald's, I so apologize. I was joking. So, talk to one another. Now, listen, this, this next verse here, I've got nine minutes to land this. <laughs> like, you need to know that. Um, look at, uh, if I can get this thing to move. Uh, look at verse 46 through 55. This is what's known as Mary's song, or uh, the Catholics call it the Magnificat. It's the, the praise course of Mary. Catholics make a lot, uh, make, make a big deal out of this, and we Protestants don't make enough of it. Because there are clues, there are secrets, there are patterns that are hidden within this song. Because you see, Mary was in the line of David. She was carrying a child that would sit on the throne of David. And there was an inheritance coming down through the generations. She was a, there was a psalmist anointing that she stepped into. And all of a sudden she's prophesying and releasing revelation through this spontaneous song that just erupts in her out of gratitude for what God's doing. And this is Mary's song. And in this song, she gives us some little clues, little hints, how we can break into greater things in God. So look at here in verse. 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. So she begins to give, she says, what's going on? Her soul magnified and her spirit rejoiced and then she gives the reason for that rejoicing, erupting, that joy erupting in her heart. But she says, my, there, there's an order to this. My soul magnified And then my spirit rejoices. Your soul and spirit, Hebrews chapter 4 is very clear. There is a dividing of soul and spirit. These are not the same thing. Your soul is that natural intellect, emotion, and volition that we have as a God-given. It's the seat of your personality. But she she was saying, I began to magnify the Lord. That was an act of her will, an exercise of her mind to remind herself. And then she gives a list of what she was reminding herself, what she was realizing. And as she began to magnify the Lord, based on that, all of a sudden joy just erupts in her spirit. She breaks into joy. And joy is a very important thing, by the way. Joy is the fuel. It's the strength to stay in the, in the fight. It's the, it's the strength to endure. One of the things that sabotages a lot of believers is they don't have their joy and they're not able to endure the hard times. And at best, they keep taking laps around Mount Sinai rather than moving on in the lessons. And so we need to really guard our heart and cultivate joy. And she's giving us a clue here. How she did that is she magnified, she, her soul magnified the Lord. Now that's a strange phrase. When you magnify something, it literally means, and so does the Greek here, it means to make it bigger. Do you think she was really making God bigger than he was? Was she enlarging the Lord? Was God a bigger entity after her prayer meeting or her praise course? No. A magnifying glass, what it does is it brings something bigger in our vision. It it enables us to examine the details that we missed without the magnifying glass. You grab a magnifying glass, you look at a bug, you realize, oh, those little legs have hair on them. You know, look at look it, up, four eyes, you know, and you're looking at that and you're examining it. What does it do? It brings it bigger in your sight. When we magnify the Lord, we're meditating on him so that he fills our vision and we begin to see details and contours to his nature that we didn't realize before. And it's a way to cultivate joy so we can stay in the fight. It doesn't just happen. Joy doesn't just erupt. Joy is something that we need to cultivate and we need to meditate on these things so that it will happen to us. And so her soul magnified and then her spirit rejoiced. And so what was she meditating on? I want to look at one thing. I really, I want to look at a bunch of things, but we don't have time. So I'm going to look at one thing. Let's just read through real quick here. Verse 48 says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. She realized what's going on in my life, this recent activity, this angelic visitation the Spirit of God coming on me, this is a game changer. And from now on, all through eternity, I'm going to be uniquely known as someone who is blessed of God. She recognized the, the unique honor that was given to her by God. For who, 49, for who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And verse 50 is what I want to look at. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him. Isaiah 66. Let me read it to you. Let me read you verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 66. This is a profound passage. Let me see here. I am so sorry. Isaiah 66. In this passage, he begins to talk about how high and exalted he is. The Lord begins to declare his his magnificence. Listen to what it says, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He's putting things into perspective. This massive planet that we're on, that's just where he puts his feet. Where then is the house you can build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. So all the works of our hand are so minuscule in the light of his magnitude. So God is setting the stage for the next thing he wants to show us. He's reminding us how great he is and how insignificant we seem in all of creation. And then he says this, but to to this one I will look. Some versions say, this is the one I esteem. Others say, this is the one I favor. The one I esteem is the one that really messes with me. The God who created everything. And then he says, but there's a certain kind of person that I esteem. And he defines it. He says, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. The God of the universe is attracted to a certain type of person. God, the creator, esteems a certain type of individual. It's someone who's humble and contrite and trembles at his word. He's talking about the fear of the Lord. Somebody who walks in the fear of the Lord. Mary said that the mercy of the Lord is for those who fear him from generation to, to generation. She adds, once again, this generational element to the fear of the Lord. The angel told Mary when he first encountered her, he said this phrase, you have found favor. The favor of God can be found. Not everybody has it. When you begin to talk about favor, some of you have heard me say, I want to be of the tribe of favorites. I want to be one of God's favorites. And whenever I talk like that, people say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. You know, Romans 2 says that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't give preferential treatment. And that is true. That verse is valid, of course. It's in the Bible. But you've got to understand the context. Because the context is speaking to Jewish people who are trusting in their Jewishness to be accepted by God. And what he's saying is, That to those who live righteous, God will bless, first the Jew, then the Gentile, and those who live wickedly, God will discipline, and he will brush aside, first to the Jew and then the Gentile, for God is no respecter of persons. What he's talking about is you can't rely on your nationality or any of those things, that God deals with us as individuals, but what it's not saying is that God doesn't favor certain people, and you see that literally throughout all of Scripture. Scripture is one story after another of those who walked in the favor of God. God bestows favor. This word favor can be translated esteemed or like or even to give preferential treatment. You say God gives preferential treatment to some? Absolutely. God, there are certain people that God prefers. I know this sounds radical. I'm going to push it on it though. There are people that God prefers over other people. God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of heart attitude. And God responds to certain types of heart. He will, he will give grace to some, and he will absolutely resist others. And I want to tell you something. When God resists you, you resist it. It's not good English, but it's good preaching. When God resists you, there is no way around that thing. The arrogant, prideful heart is resisted by heaven. But the humble heart actually attracts the grace of God. It's not a coincidence that the Spirit of God is often, uh, you, the symbol of water often represents the Spirit's moving because water always runs to the low place. If you're hungry or you're thirsty, go low because that's where you'll find water and that's where you'll find the Spirit. If we will go low and we'll come. And that's what Mary is bragging about here. She's saying he looked at the the humble abode of an unimportant person and he recognized me and he visited me and he elevated me. And then she says the mercy of God is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So what we know is the, the, the favor of God can be found. Jesus found the favor of God. But it can also be uh, cultivated and accumulated. Jesus, the sinless son of God, grew in favor with God and man. What does that mean? I understand how he could grow in favor with people. People over time got to know him and to know know him is to like him and they, they grew in favor. But he grew in favor with his heavenly father in his earthly journey. What does that mean? We need to figure that out. Because you can find favor and you can grow favor. We can grow in favor. And I would propose to you, he's already given us the keys in his word. The fear of the Lord is one of the keys to growing in favor with the Lord. Humility, which comes out of the fear of the Lord, is a key to growing in the favor of God. So you can find favor and I hope that makes you hungry. I hope there's something in you that says, God, if there is favor to be found in the earth, I am going to spend the rest of my life finding the keys to get to that favor. Because when you have his favor, you have everything. And if you don't have his favor, you have nothing. You can, I don't care who praises you, if you don't have his favor, you have nothing. And so Mary found favor, it insinuates she was seeking for favor. Her heart was postured that, God, the one thing I want is to please you and to attract you and to posture my heart that I would be the kind of person you would want to rest upon. She, and she found it, and the angel told her, and she was surprised because she had broken into something she didn't even realize she had broken into. Jesus grew the favor of God on his life, and then there's this element, you can actually leverage favor in prayer. And not only you, what does it say? That you can, that the favor of the, or the mercy of God is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. One gen, I can actually live in such a way, parents and grandparents, hear me. You can live in such a way that God will actually visit mercy on your children. Because of the favor on your life, because of the fear of the Lord you walk in, God will begin to visit mercy on your kids. And your life, the posture of your heart, actually becomes a prayer which covers your kids. Now that doesn't negate the fact that they need to surrender, but the mercy of God begins to deal with their life and visit them, and you can actually become a covering for your adult children and grandchildren, by the way you posture your heart before God. From generation to generation. There's something about family lines that you look, and there's decades and generations of the fear of the Lord. And they increase. They they, they grow. They go from glory to glory, just as God intended. And then we have this thing. We've talked about it before, but it bears... Uh, uh, mentioning in this context that you got this passage in Psalm 132 where De- or Solomon is actually leveraging his father his, his father, his dead father's relationship with God. He said, oh Lord, remember David and the suffering he endured. Lord, I want to remind you about my dad. He's now with you. But when he lived on the earth... He lived in such a way that he attracted your favor. And Lord, I'm asking, I'm 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 I'm, I'm wanting a, a withdrawal from the favor that he lived in now as his son. And would you remember me because of what he did? And he was inspired by the Spirit of God to do so. We don't realize how interconnected the generations are. And listen, if you're a first generation believer, you can, you can posture your heart and you can put an end to the flow of that curse and the, the, things, the things that have plagued your family line and sometimes it takes some work because there is a psychological element as well as a spiritual, so you better deal with your stuff. But you can, you can become the, the change agent for generations. And there was this flow of one legacy that stopped. And there's a new legacy that flows. Muddy waters flowed to you, but pure waters flow from you. When, when the River Jordan, remember when Joshua, and, the, and go ahead and stand so you know I'm going to quit. When, when the River Jordan was, was stand, it said it stacked up, this is what it said. They walked over the river. It said it stopped flowing at a town called Adam. The Adamic flow of the fallen nature stopped when the Ark of the Covenant came in the waters. And you can be the difference. I want to encourage you: posture your heart, be the change agent for the generations. If Jesus tarries, I pray that my great, 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 great grandbabies will remember great grandma and grandpa, Dave and Kathy, grandpappy, and they'll, they'll recognize we're still living in the blessing of the way that man lived. We're still li- we're living in the blessing of the way that woman lived. And we need to have a hunger. It's not just about us and our life and the moment in which we live. We are living for generations. I've got an inheritance I can't afford to squander. And I've got a legacy that I need to be fueling because God's not done with my lineage or yours. Amen? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.